This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, October 27th, the year of our Lord, 2020. We are jam-packed as always. Let me move the laptop over a little bit. We have got uh, full predictions. Tuesday night is prediction night here, so we are going to do in-depth previews and predictions for Ohio State, Penn State. We're going to do LSU-Auburn. Colin pointed something out to me that I I probably wouldn't have realized otherwise. LSU and Auburn does not feature a ranked team, and they rank 25 of them. So neither one of those teams are ranked right now, and yet... There's just so much intrigue there. As someone's going to hit this little hit this little spurt probably in the second half. Spurt, I think it was a word. And so uh, we'll see who that's going to be. Tiger on Tiger there. Also, we had a really good Late Kick Extra podcast that we released this morning. A lot of stuff that is football and non-football related there. It's all Q&A. So if you don't listen to that, we don't put that on the YouTube channel. So you need to go find that, listen to that. It's really fun. It's, it's more of a lean back. You know, a lot of you drive and listen to it. A lot of you kind of sneak listen to it at work, which is, quite frankly, what we make it for. So thank you for that. And subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel if you haven't already. Do like my buddy Ethan Canty. Right here in Tennessee, he subscribed. So follow in Ethan's footsteps and subscribe. As I said, we've got game previews tonight. Also, Brandon Marcello had a really good feature. It was SEC-wide earlier today, and it was kind of in line with something we did in the preseason. Remember when we did our season predictions for various teams, not just in the SEC, we did best, worst, most likely records. Well, Brandon kind of updated his own opinion on that today. What's the remaining best case record for a lot of SEC teams? What is the worst case record? So the trap door, what's the the ceiling? What's the trap door if it completely falls out from under your feet? So we're going to kind of go in line with that. I differ with him on a couple, but I'm largely in line with him. And we'll do some teams in the East and the West before we end the show tonight. So also, shout out to several of you. I've put out the call to action on the podcast and on the show over the past couple of weeks. I'm going to do a few more shows, and I do this periodically. Uh, As I've said, a lot of you who have reached out in the summertime, and I kind of got a backlog of folks who said, hey, sports media, I'm interested. How do I get in? What advice would you give? Can you look at some of my work? I, I got a lot of questions. Could you answer them? Well, this is the time I set aside for that, not the show. But I'm, I've been doing one-on-one Zoom sessions. I've done I don't know how many, countless amounts of Zoom sessions this week. Really fun. We got an ultra-talented audience. And a lot of you um, probably feel kind of like I did once upon a time. You feel like you kind of have the ability. You just got to find a door to open somewhere. So hey, I'm willing to help you out. So reach out to me if you haven't already. I know some of you are out there probably on the fence. Just reach out, joshpate706 at gmail.com and follow me on Twitter and you can DM me there, at LateKickJosh. We also have a best bet that we're going to add before the end of the show tonight. So that's enough talking. Let's get into this show. We're going to start it right off with our, well, one of our first Big Ten game previews of the year, Ohio State, a 12-point favorite 
as we sit here now, on the road at Penn State. This is the 7.30 Eastern time, ABC game, Saturday night. A brief reminder about how we handle games with double-digit point spreads. A lot of you, this is just beating a dead horse, but inevitably someone comes to the show for the first time and they hear me talk an inordinate amount about the underdog and they say, why don't you talk so much about the underdog and then end up picking the favorite like we do most of the time? And this is why. We don't think that there is really a whole lot of skill involved in looking at a 12-point favorite or a 20-point favorite and saying, I think they're going to win. That's my bold call for the weekend. Well, of course you do, moron. They're favored by 12 points. So we don't do it that way. We don't want to be morons. What we want to do is ask ourselves two questions. First question, could the upset possibly happen? If our answer is yes, which it is here, Penn State could beat Ohio State. That's not a prediction. That's just a statement. The second question is, how would it happen? So we kind of try and paint the path and this would have to go right, that would have to go right. So we'll do a little bit of both. We'll kind of do a blended preview and path to the upset here. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the news today. A lot of you Penn State fans and Ohio State fans probably did. But remember, we were talking last week about Journey Brown running back for Penn State being out for the season. And we thought, okay, they're still going to be okay, though, because they got really good depth at, at that position. Well, that was really spearheaded by the fact that they were going to have Noah Kane there. Not anymore. He's out for the year now, too. So over the span of a couple of weeks, we found out that Penn State's going to be without their top two options at tailback. Now, believe it or not, they still have pretty good depth there. Several former four-star guys as options, they have no experience. And the guy last week that was the leading rusher was uh, not Noah Kane, and it was not Journey Brown. It was Sean Clifford. Seven carries, 119 yards. So no starting experience at running back, certainly not an ideal situation, but I, it's also not a dire straits situation there. So a couple of things I think I know as I was sort of trying to think this one through on my drive over here early, I do not believe, I mentioned the Sean Clifford rushing statistics from last week, uh, Penn State, like I said, they can beat Ohio State. I certainly do not see a path where James Franklin is sitting at the post-game news conference and he's talking about the fact that Sean Clifford just beat Ohio State with his legs. I'm not laughing away the idea that he's a threat with his legs. I am laughing away the notion that He's about to beat Ohio State. Ohio State's defensively is about to let him beat them with his legs. That ain't happening. You beat him, okay, hat tip. You're not doing it running the quarterback. Second thing, I think Justin Fields' accuracy will largely determine how this game goes. If the game goes according to script, Ohio State wins it. Pretty point blank there. Some things have to go off script for Penn State to win this. It's not impossible. That's exactly how it would happen, though. The Penn State defensive approach here probably a lot different than Nebraska last week. You probably noticed coming out of that Ohio State-Nebraska game, there were some people freaking out about the run game. I don't know why you'd freak out about anything when you won going away in week one, but there were some people who said, we don't have a run game. Well, no, you didn't have much of one at the tailback position in week one. It also wasn't horrible. It's just that neither Trey Sermon nor Master Teague ran for 150. Justin Fields had a pretty good day. Uh, in, in the collective, they had a pretty good day. Could have been better. But the point is, a lot of times when you hear that analysis, it's in a vacuum totally independent of the kind of defensive fronts that Nebraska played, for example, where they put 17 guys in the box most of the afternoon. Now, to me, that did a couple of things. It limited Ohio State on the ground, but it was also just asking to be killed through the air. And that's why, as a lot of people were freaking out at rushing statistics, you look down at your stat sheet afterwards and you say, Justin Fields, how'd he do? 
Oh, he was 20 of 21 for 276 yards. So essentially, they got most of whatever they wanted through the air. That kind of accuracy wins you a lot of football games. That kind of completion percentage moves the chains and wins you a lot of football games. So like I said, I think their rushing numbers will probably be a little bit better this week. In fact, I, th I think there's a path where Ohio State has a 100-plus yard rushing tailback this week and they lose a game. I think both of those things could happen. Again, that's not a prediction. That's just a statement. But it's one of those kind of that age-old defensive metaphor of do you want to chase the rabbit or do you just want to guard the hole? The more athletic defenses, it's really hard sometimes to swallow your pride and just guard the hole because you're going to give up your – Barry Odom is doing this very well at Arkansas right now. But Barry Odom does not have Penn State talent. A lot of times when you have Penn State talent, and I understand this, you want to go after someone and you want to impose your will. That's why you recruit and develop the way that you do. So it's kind of interesting to look at what Nebraska did against Ohio State last week and then juxtapose that to what Penn State could do this week because what I think is the probably best approach and most likely to put them in position to spring an upset is going to include Ohio State racking up a ton of yards between the 20s. But it also comes down to clogging some passing lanes, batting some balls, contesting throws, and then probably forcing an interception or two. Penn State has very, very good edge pressure that they can get. And so they showed it. It was on display last week. It should have won them a game. Don't say that very often. Should have won them a game. I mean, on the money downs late in that game, they had a lot of heat off the edge. So you do that again, and I'm going to shift to this in a second, talking about what it takes for Penn State to win this game. Just that. You could win the game. Wide receiver is a big point of interest for Ohio State this year in general, and it's a big point of interest coming into this game. And the reason is because Chris Olave's status as of Tuesday when we're doing this show live is still uncertain. Now, the best I can tell, the best intel I have from up there is there is a cautious optimism he's going to play Saturday. But I want to stress this. Even if he doesn't play, that's not a one-trick pony of a position group. They have Garrett Wilson, who shined, oh, had a really good day Saturday, and is fully capable of duplicating that against pretty much anyone they play. Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, a lot of their young guys, I mean, they are there. Those are options that would be bona fide starters most other places in the country. So I don't think that the game plan is drastically altered, whether Olave can go or not. It alters things. I don't think it drastically alters things. So how, how does this happen? How does Penn State pull this upset, if they potentially do pull this upset? The first thing, let's just say nothing changes this week other than they flip the errors. What errors are you talking about, Josh? Well, I'm talking about missed field goals. They had three of them last week. They had two interceptions. They had 100 yards and penalties. They had two mishandled kicks. Everything, and I do mean this literally, that could have gone wrong, went wrong for Penn State. A lot of people are throwing around the S&P Plus uh, win percentage rate today. You know, it's one of those deals where you track it and what percentage towards the end of the game, what percentage of those games would you have won given the box score, given the numbers in the box score? And I think the number was at like 98% or 99%. So Penn State found a way to lose a game. They had essentially a 99% chance of winning. Craziness. If you just flip that stuff, this is a very competitive game Saturday. I don't have any reason to promise you that will be able to happen. There's a lot more pressure on you Saturday. It's like, you know, we always use the analogy of trying to plug 14 holes in a dam with 10 fingers. That's kind of what it feels like sometimes. But, you know, it could happen Saturday. Second thing, they were working at a snail's pace 
last week at Indiana. I got to think they'll incorporate a lot more tempo today, or uh, not today, Saturday. Maybe if you're watching on Saturday morning, it's today. Now, that always sounds good. No one ever goes into a game. No fan base ever goes into a game. No one ever starts a thread on a message board that says, I really hope we grind our pace to a halt this Saturday. However, you all of a sudden get you a couple of three and outs, and you understand how that tilts the table quickly against you. So you got to be smart about it. you got to pick your spots. But there are some young guys who are still kind of unproven in the defensive front for Ohio State. Ditto in their secondary. So confusion. If you can force that enough Saturday, that could lead you to doing something that, to be honest, I don't think you can do as we're about to get to our game preview now. In fact, Colin, we can go ahead and show the capsule. So we show a game capsule for every one of our game previews and breakdowns. We show you the Vegas number, and then we show you our own model's projection per 1,000 simulations of this game. Vegas sits right now with Ohio State at minus 12. That number's kind of moved around a little bit, and it's probably not done moving. We're up over two touchdowns. We love Ohio State. Our, our model loved Ohio State last week, and we laid off of it because the number was so fat. It likes Ohio State again this week. In fact, I would say that's love. 15 points, it loves Ohio State. So I said... Um, Forcing those mistakes and forcing confusion could lead to Penn State doing something I don't think they can do. That's trading points. Ohio State's getting theirs. Whether you think it's 31, 35, 38, they're getting theirs. There's a minimum number. They're like Alabama. There's a minimum number they're going to get. Doesn't matter how good you are defensively. You can just rinse and repeat the breakdown we did for Alabama against Georgia. The question with Georgia for Bama is, how are you going to trade points? Where are you getting your points? Same question for Penn State. They don't all have to be offensive. Uh, they could be special teams, they could be defense, whatever, but where are you finding them? Where are you finding your 31 or 35? If you're forcing confusion, if you're working at a quicker pace, you could look like a totally different team than you did last week. There's just a lot of, to this point, unproven parts in that Penn State offensive machine that really have to shine this week. So where am I going? I'm going Ohio State to win. I'm going Ohio State to cover. I'm leaning on our model because I see no reason to fly in the face of it. So give me the Buckeyes and give me the Buckeyes by two touchdowns or more Saturday. Meanwhile, in the SEC, LSU at Auburn. This is always a spotlight game in the SEC. In fact, I was trying to think, and I still don't know, I think it's been six years since I missed this game in person. I'm at this game every year. And so, uh, boy, we've been on the field for some classics. Two out of the last three years, LSU has come from double-digit deficits to win this game. I think they got three in a row right now against Auburn. Auburn played them really close last year, played them about as close as anyone did, including Alabama, including Oklahoma, including Clemson. So both teams right now, and this is the 3.30 Eastern CBS game of the week, by the way, LSU favored by three. Both teams are on such roller coasters. It's only week six. We're halfway through a season. It feels like you've seen an entire season's worth of ups and downs with both of these teams. So it's always important to understand what the undercurrent is. You can read headlines. You can look at things from a blimp 50,000 feet in the air. I don't recommend flying your blimp that high, but it's your blimp. You do what you want to with it. But the undercurrent, what are people saying close to the programs? And we try and bring you that whenever we can. The undercurrent with Auburn is they are essentially, you know, the old guy that you watch on the surveillance cameras who, you know, putters his way through the red light and he makes it through fine. And there's a 15 car pileup behind him or that happens three or four times and he just keeps making his way through there. That's kind of Auburn right now. You know, they, they, they tense their body up for the wreck and they close their eyes 
and they made it through. And then they made it through again. And you're like, how did, how did we not just end up in that pileup? Who cares? Keep going. Oh, another one. Oh, we made it through that one too. Oh, keep going. So here they are. They, a lot of people argue should be one and four, whatever. They're not. And so, you know, you can, you can make that argument all you want to, but what does it mean for the future? Because it's really irrelevant. All that stuff's in the past. I'm going to circle back to that in a second. As for the undercurrent with LSU, obviously they have not been happy thus far about their defensive performance or lack thereof down there, but... All of a sudden, they had an impromptu bye week, and then they came out of it, and they skull drug South Carolina. Okay, people beat South Carolina all the time, to be frank. So that's not necessarily a season saver, but what you're wondering now, the undercurrent at LSU is, was that a firecracker going off, and it's just kind of be its own little thing, and it won't matter towards the end of the year, or was it a fuse lit that could lead to something bigger? That's the backdrop with which this game will be played. The LSU quarterback situation, TJ Finley was the big headline down there after he stepped in for Miles Brennan and performed pretty admirably, I'd have to say. Last Saturday, they think that Miles Brennan will be able to play. That's very much up in the air. Uh, that's a 50-50 deal. Uh, Ed Orgeron has been non-committal on that. I don't think he knows. I don't think he's really hiding anything. I just don't think he knows. As for the Auburn side of things, they lose Brandon Council. That's a name you probably don't know. Well, that was a starting guard for them. And it is the worst time, even though there is no good time to lose starters. It's the worst time. They had finally gotten to a spot at Auburn where they had had musical chairs and injuries and guys having to sit out and whatnot. They had finally had a couple of weeks where they were getting to practice and play with the same starting five. And then boom, down goes a starting guard. And this was already a big question mark unit and, and will continue to be this entire year for this team. So let me switch back as we start to preview this thing to the Auburn should be one in four crowd. I understand the points you're making. I agree with a lot of your points. But my point is, this is a game preview for a game that hasn't happened yet. So we can do commentary on all that stuff. And believe me, we have. How does it impact the future? What impact does that have on the future? Because if you believe that means they're not very good, then okay, I have good news for you. There are people in the desert, or, you know, it's legal in Tennessee now, so you can come, you can come over to 24-7 Sports Office and we'll log on, and you can lay a paycheck or two on LSU minus three. But yet, as sure as the sun's going to come up in the morning, fingers crossed, I get this from people. Oh, Auburn should be one and four. Okay, what are you trying to tell me? Well, I don't really know. It's like, what are you making the statement for? Like, if, you, if you're telling me that means they're not good, just bet the house on LSU. So I don't know what it means. That's the point. It's totally detached from the future. It could be that that has bought them time and some things that maybe shouldn't have gone their way did go their way. And now it bought them enough time to maybe find an offensive identity. And so we'll see. It's ellipses, dot, 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 to be determined. But there's just, there is a certain fear. And I can tell you from being in the Southeastern Conference for quite a while, there is a certain fear and a subconscious concern that people always have with these two teams. With Auburn, uh, really it's purely voodoo. People believe in this down here, and I'm not so sure I disagree with them. There are things that extend beyond the realm of the explainable that have happened in fortuitous nature for Auburn football over the years. Most of the time it's at home. Last week it happened on the road. But there are just things that happen. It's Halloween season. There are just things that happen. And what makes you nervous is when they start benefiting from it, oh boy, well, they should have lost some stuff, but they didn't. Now they're about to peel something off on us, aren't they? That's the concern people have. They cannot, they cannot erase their memory. It's there. As for LSU, 
They look bad early in the year, but if you haven't played them yet, there's this, there's this fear subconsciously, way in the back of your mind, of the fact that you know they still got a locker room loaded with athletes. And if they ever get it in gear, there's this, there's this DNA, this identity that LSU plays with where no one down here ever looks at LSU, I don't care what their record is, and says, well, that'll be a pretty easy win. No one looks at LSU like that. They know the racehorses they have in that locker room. Doesn't matter what Missouri did to them. Doesn't matter what Mike Leach did to them. When you play them down the road, it stands to reason they probably won't put that product on the field. So let's talk about this game. Auburn is probably going to tilt this thing two to one, run to pass ratio. I see no reason to think otherwise. They kind of did it last week. Uh, you saw LSU score 52 points last week, right? You saw him run it up on South Carolina, and that's great. And had a good offensive day. Here's what I think Gus Malzahn watched that film and he saw. He saw a kick return for LSU. He saw a pick six for LSU. He also saw LSU go eight for 10 on third down. And he sees the fact that LSU is leading the league in sacks right now. He also is not dumb. He knows the limitations on his quarterback, Bo Nix. Does that sound like a formula that makes you want to put the ball in the air a whole lot? Seth Williams or not? I don't think so. Now, as sure as I say that, I think LSU is going to do the exact same thing. Last week, I wrote it down. LSU was a 54 to 21 run to pass ratio last week. It's going to be a very run heavy game. And if the defensive fronts had stiffened at all this year, I think the under would be extremely attractive in this thing. It's 65 and a half right now. Clock is winding all day long in this game. So I'm not so sure we may not go back to that under. I'd love for it to creep up a little bit. We got to get some value out of that thing. But LSU, as I said, 54 to 21 run to pass ratio. Kentucky, Georgia, South Carolina, Ed Orgeron watches those teams that have already played Auburn, and they all have one thing in common. They just ran straight at Auburn. This is the first time, as I've told you before in quite a while, where the game plan to attack the Auburn defense is just run right up the middle of the Auburn defense. You never, ever say that about them. Some teams have had success doing it this year. A couple of questions before we move to the game capsule and a pick here. How frequently, mentioned Seth Williams there, how frequently will Auburn feel comfortable targeting him? Got to imagine that's a lot of Stingley versus Williams competition Saturday. How frequently do they feel comfortable throwing to him? He's a really good contested catch guy. There are very few corners in America with better ball skills than Derek Stingley. Second question, it's two Auburn questions really. Are they going to incorporate more tempo? They didn't work at a very fast pace most of the afternoon against Ole Miss. I think both of these, you know, there's kind of a catch-22 for both of these offensive coordinators. They know the depth situation is not the best. They know these defensive fronts are not vintage LSU or Auburn defensive fronts, but yet they're also petrified of making mistakes that end up costing a game and a game that both programs very, very dearly need to win. I looked at this thing. Colin, let's go ahead and get ready to cue up that capsule. And I said, offensive lines, that's really where it is. LSU's offensive line. I really don't think is going to be taken advantage of by Auburn's pass rush. I don't think Auburn has an elite pass rush right now. LSU may not have a vintage elite pass rush, but there are a lot of guys like B.J. Ogilary, for instance, coming on that I think will have much more success against Auburn's offensive line Saturday afternoon. So as we look at the game capsule and it's LSU minus three, even though our in-house model has LSU minus two, I'm on the other side of that. I'm up north of three. I like LSU to win the game. I also like LSU 
to cover the three. It's not an official play for us. Maybe a total. Maybe a little bit later in the week. We'll see. Stay tuned for that. But um, I don't know. I, it, it, I could be dead wrong. I think LSU found a little something last week. And even if they didn't, I still think they bring enough into this game to win. I just don't think there's enough juice offensively for Auburn. And I really don't trust that offensive line situation. I think there's enough disruptors in LSU's, especially that linebacker core now, defensive ends and whatnot. I think there are enough to force some critical errors that end up being the difference in that game. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's go. Uh, who's texting me here? Oh, that's nice. Um, our best and worst case records, we did this at the beginning of the year for a whole lot of teams. So I wanted, I told Colin, Colin, it's time for us to hit a reset button. Brandon Marcello released this feature. It's on 247sports.com right now. If you want to wait to the end of the show and go read it, it's really good. You know, he put his thoughts in there. He did an updated version of the best case and worst case records for all the teams in the SEC. So I'm not going to quite be that extensive, but as Colin is showing you the SEC Eastern Division standings right now, how about that? We are sitting here, uh, it's not even Halloween, and there are no undefeated teams in the SEC East. That is what COVID will do to you. So let's break it down. I think uh, yeah, we're kind of we're closely going in this order, not quite in the order of the standings, and we're not going to do all the teams. So Georgia is 3-1 and one right now, as you see there. Our preseason, when I say our, I mean late kicks preseason projections on Georgia. Our best case for them was 10-0, and our worst case was 6-4. and So my updated number there is right in line with what Marcelo put in his feature. 9-1, best case, because they've already lost a game. And 7-3 and is the worst case. And this one's not hard to figure out at all. I think everyone's question would be the same. It's not, oh, what are you going to do at quarterback? It's if something happens at quarterback, if JT Daniels ends up uh, starting Saturday, who in the world knows, or he starts against Florida, how big a leap can the offense make? Because I think there's an assumption from some that once Daniels gets in there, it's just an automatic shift into a different gear. It may be, talent-wise, he is superior to Stetson Bennett, but that's if he's at 100%. There's a big difference between being medically cleared and being mentally and physically 100% to play ball in this league. So right now, that's where we sit with Georgia. How about Florida? Florida Gators currently 2-1. and one. It seems like they should have played a lot more than that, but obviously they had two games canceled on them or postponed. So our preseason model for Florida said 10-0 and 0 best case, 6-4 and 4 worst case. So they've lost a game too. They lost at Texas A&M. So I'm with Marcelo on this one too. 9-1 and one is the updated best case. 6-4, and four, both of us still agree that's the worst case record for Florida. It is a very, very important week. 
for the Florida Gators. Now, I know they play Missouri, and a lot of you aren't going to watch that game, but Missouri is not a half-bad offense. So I'm not necessarily pitching you on upset alert. I'm, I'm, we're going to talk about the game Thursday night. They got Georgia coming up in a week. They just got back on the practice field yesterday, I think. Yeah, Monday. So they just they had to take a two-week mandatory break from practicing. It's not like they've been down there hard at work on the practice field. I would imagine those Zoom sessions have been pretty fiery because they got to figure something out defensively. And it's not that they lack the personnel to do it. That's kind of what's been so frustrating for Florida fans. The defense holds the key here, and that's why I'm mentioning this week. You'll know, kind of like you think maybe LSU flipped a switch last week. Well, you want to see the inverse of that. You want to see Florida do it defensively. You want to see them flip a switch and not just beat Missouri, but beat them to the tune of like, instead of making it 51 to 35, give me something like 35 to 10 or 13. That would be very encouraging to me. How about Tennessee? Tennessee's two and three. They have gone into their bye week now. They started off two and zero. They hadn't won a game since then. Granted, they're one of. I don't think anyone's played Georgia and Alabama. I may be wrong on that. Well, anyway, they got thrown into the wood chipper scheduling wise there. So, our preseason model was seven and three best case, three and seven worst case for Tennessee. Updated. I'm right there with Marcelo. We are right in line on both of our projections here. Updated best case is down. It is six and four. Our updated worst case is three and seven. Let me read you the games. Keep in mind, they're two and three right now. Here are the remaining games for Tennessee. They got a bye week this week. And then the rest of the way, they are at Arkansas, Texas A&M at home, at Auburn, at Vanderbilt, home against Florida. I mean, Vanderbilt's on there. Elsewhere, what? At Arkansas, something you would have looked at preseason and said, all right, we'll get some things right there. Maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? Uh, there, I Listen, I got a feeling, and I think it's more gut than anything. I still think there's a different gear somewhere for this team this year. There's a lot of very good young offensive skill talent on their roster. Hasn't fully blossomed. I don't know that it will fully blossom at any point this year. But if it does, what if that coincides with a change at the quarterback position? What if Harrison Bailey ends up getting a, a much stronger look coming out of this bye week, and just what if that's the click for Tennessee? Because there are going to be teams, you and I both know this, there are going to be teams this year that you wrote off early in the year that, as it turns out, were just ill-prepared to start the season because of COVID or whatever you want to call it, maybe just football, that are going to find another gear. I think Tennessee may be one of those teams. So a lot of people are punting on them right now. I think they'll finish a lot closer to 6-4 and four than 3-7. and seven. Colin, you know what? Let's stay in the East. You know, I, uh, I almost put this paper aside. No, 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 no. we got to talk about South Carolina. The Gamecocks are 2-3. and three. We are radically shifting from October to no-win November. That's what we're in danger of here. you got to be careful. It's a fine line that you walk between those two months. Preseason for South Carolina, I was 6-4, and four, best case, 2-8, and eight, worst case. What's the updated projection here? This is where I differed with Marcelo a little bit. He still kept it at six and four, best case, as did I. He went three and seven, worst case, though. I went two and eight, worst case. I really do think there is a path, if the bottom were to fall out here, where they don't win another game. That is entirely possible, and anyone who argues with me that it's not, I would give you uh, one, two, three, I would give you five VHS tapes to watch. They would just be South Carolina football this year. I had. Um, I had a fair amount of confidence. I'm a little aggravated. You can tell I am because I, 
I gave my stamp of endorsement, the Moneyline stamp of endorsement. I thought they were winning last Saturday, and they got splattered last Saturday. So I lost a lot of confidence, and um, still a little, little, little angry about it. I think they're probably looking at something around four and six. That's where I think they are right now. But six and four, best case, two and eight, I think is the worst case at the bottom where to fall out. Now let's take it across the Chattahoochee River. I had one of you email me and say, you ought to use the Coosa River. That's a little more geographically correct in separating the east and the west. But the thing about it is, I didn't grow up on the Coosa River. I grew up on the Chattahoochee River. Plus, there are no songs that have ever hit number one titled Way Down Yonder on the Coosa. I'm just saying. So let's get into this. SEC West now, best and worst case updated. There is still an undefeated team in the SEC West, the Alabama Crimson Tide, familiar face there. And how about A&M? They were our number two team in the West, and thus far, a long way to go. They still sit at three and one and number two. And then you got a really, really muddy situation after that. And a lot of you would argue that those standings are incorrect. And uh, listen, Colin can only do what the league office tells him he can do. I mean, those are the official records. So officiating notwithstanding, that's what we have to go with right now. As for Alabama, preseason every year, the best case is undefeated for them, which is what mine was, 10-0. My worst case for them was 7-3. Marcelo and I both agree with our updated projection. Their best case remains 10-0. Their worst case is 8-2. We've bumped, we've bumped it up because they're past the Georgia game now. So all the offensive boxes have been checked. Mac Jones is everything you would hope he would be, and then some. Jalen Waddles out. So if you're looking towards the worst case, if you're asking how could the 8-2 and two happen, well, you could have a, a bunch of COVID stuff happen. But outside of that, it could be that the Jalen Waddle hole is even bigger than you would think so, and maybe defensively they just never find themselves. Now, I happen to believe when you look at Tim Smith entering the game Saturday for them, which is a name I have been texting folks at Bama every week about, knowing what they lack on the interior so far this year. Hey, when in the world are we going to see Tim Smith? Saw him a little bit Saturday. Brian Branch, I think they'll be more versatile with him. He's a true freshman. Both of those guys are. But got to use him. I mean, that's talent. You got to use him. I think they start, we'll start using them more. How about LSU? LSU, the preseason for us, as the Tigers sit 2-2, two and two, the preseason for us had LSU at 9-1, and one, best case, 4-6, and six, worst case. Marcelo has updated his projection, and his best case is 7-3, worst case is 3-7. I am a tick up on my worst case. I still have 7-3 as their updated best case, but I've got 4-6 as their worst case. I no longer see the trapdoor carrying them down all the way to 3-7. I think there's reason to believe, and this is, like I said, still to be determined, I think there's at least somewhat of an optimistic approach you could take here, and there's reason to believe that some rapid cohesion has begun to happen. We thought this may be the case. We thought they may show up week one not quite ready yet, or maybe not even close to being ready yet, just as an overall team. And if that were to happen, they were going to get embarrassed. But if that were to happen, there was also going to be a lot of people writing them off, only to find that, okay, well, it turns out they were ready by week four or week five, whenever the case may be. Point being, hey, maybe that happened last week. Maybe we reached that tipping point last week. We'll see, because just as easily as you say that, you could also see them lose uh, 37 to 20 Saturday. So at Auburn, we'll say a whole lot. Texas A&M, the current number two in the West. They are three and one on the season. We have been high on this team. They keep losing wide receiver talent, but we've been high on them all year. We had them number two in the West in our preseason. 
preseason, I had him nine and one best case, five and five worst case. Marcelo and I are still on the same page here. Nothing has changed. Nine and one is still the best case. Five and five, still the worst case. Love how they ended up going into the bye. They had the loss against Alabama. They rectified themselves and validated a lot of belief out there with the win against Florida. They avoided a potential landmine on the road at Mississippi State. They're in the bye week. Well, now they come out of it. They, by the way, are our best bet Saturday. They opened as a 10-point favorite against Arkansas at home. That line has since moved to 12. That's why we gave it out early. So 7-3. and three. Listen, they could go 7-3, and three, guys, just by playing relatively mistake-free football. Like, they're going to have a roster advantage over most everyone they play the rest of the way. So that's what you're looking at. You're not looking for Kellen Mond to go on a Heisman run. You're just looking for him not to have a one-touchdown, three-interception stat line any given afternoon. How about Auburn? Auburn's playing LSU Saturday. Preseason on Auburn, we had 9-1 and one as the best case, and we had 4-6 and six as the worst case. They are 3-2 and two right now. Again, that's what the league record book says. Marcelo and I agree. Again, 7-3 and three best case for Auburn, the updated number, and 4-6 and six is the worst case. So uh, the best case has obviously been knocked down a peg or two, but my worst case is still 4-6 and six for them. It is the highest variance team in America. That's what we thought about them in the preseason. How could you watch this year and think anything else? Even the officiating is high variance in Auburn games. So the offensive identity, it's, it's been a question. Every Auburn fan's been asking, like, well, Chad Morris is coming in. Who are we going to be? What are we going to be? And then you played a couple of football games, and you were still asking, who are we? What are we? Well, last week, I was reading you those stats about the run-to-pass ratio, and I, we told you the reason we liked Auburn against Ole Miss is because I thought Gus Malzahn was either going to outright take a lot of that play-calling duty back or he was going to walk in and say, Chad, we're not throwing the ball this week. We got Tank Bigsby, true freshman's coming on. We got a limited offensive line. Uh, they can't stop molasses in December. Let's run the ball. And so they did. And for better or for worse, I think that's got to be their identity, which is really close to being in line with what they've always been. I mean, at their best, they've been run. They've been play action over the top. And it, you know, it aggravates you that you don't have an intermediate passing game, but you'd rather not have one than try to have one and turn the ball over all the time. So I was looking at the rest of their schedule. Now, just as much as I said a and is going to be at a roster advantage most of the rest of the way, Auburn has LSU at Alabama and Texas A&M left. Uh, those are three out of their final five games where they will not have a roster advantage. Just something I like to throw out there. It's not like they'll be four touchdown underdogs, but just something to think about. And finally, we're talking about Arkansas. Why wouldn't we? Our preseason numbers were not pretty for Arkansas. Two and eight was what we had for best case. That was best case. O and 10 was worst case. They're two and two right now. Flat out should be three and one. They are two and two right now. Marcelo has updated his numbers. He has six and four as best case and two and eight as the worst case. I couldn't go above 500, and I love them, but I couldn't go above 500. Five and five is my best case for them. Two and eight is my worst case. How much gas is left in the tank? That's the real question because you got to love the effort you've seen so far. Guys, this is a long football season. Even when you're only playing 10 games, when they're all conference games, it's November seems like a year and it's going to seem like a year. They have remaining on their schedule at Texas A&M, that's this week, Tennessee, at Florida, LSU, at Missouri, Alabama. So they're sitting two wins right now. 
I just flat out don't think they can win four of those games, even in the best of times. Three, maybe. Four, probably not. It's more realistic they're a three or four win team. That's why I'm telling you right now, freeze your opinion of Sam Pittman, freeze your opinion of Kendall Bryles, Barry Odom, the new culture there. Whatever you think about them now, that's great. That's great, and I don't care if they don't win another game. You need to freeze this opinion, and you need to just put it in a capsule somewhere. Do not let whatever happens the rest of the way. If it's positive, that's great. But if things go off the rails, just because they're not deep enough and talented enough to sustain an entire year, whatever. Nothing's going to erase the shine for me about what Sam Pittman has done there against literally all odds. Uh, we got to work in Phil Collins' references every now and then, but against all odds, uh, not the least of which being the SEC hitting them in the face with a bowling ball, scheduling-wise, and then saying, oh, by the way, once you are competitive in those games, we're taking the win from you. Sorry. Woo pig. So 2-8 uh, and eight was the preseason best case. They're already a two-win team, so congratulations there. All right, we got to get to our added best bet before we get out of here. We already gave you uh, the early best bet on Sunday night, and so I was going to give you two more tonight. But I, I pumped the brakes on one. We're waiting on a number. As soon as we get it, I'll fire it off. You need to be following me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, if you haven't already, because a lot of times we hand them out there. In fact, today, I handed out our latest best bet there. It is Georgia Tech, plus 20. They just got ripped by Boston College. Conversely, Notre Dame ran it up big time on Pitt. I think it stretched the number a little bit further than it should have been. So we're going to take Georgia Tech, plus 20. We have that number down near 15. So we think it's way too fat. You are paying a premium, in our humble opinion, if you want to take Notre Dame this week. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast and you haven't heard earlier this week, Texas A&M minus 10 is our best bet. And then Georgia Tech plus 20. That's the latest on the Ramen Noodle Express, which is chugging along at a little bit over 61% right now. We are excited about that. And as I said, follow me on Twitter so you don't miss any of the uh, picks that I hand out, not only between shows, but after the Thursday show sometimes. And speaking of Thursday, that is the next time that we'll be live here. Also, in between those shows, we have the Late Kick Podcast. Subscribe there and leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. And that's about all the voice I have for today. So for Director Colin, for Tanya and Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.